0: While we chose to live outside of the garden, God has not left us without wisdom. And he's also not left us without good things. Ecclesiastes was written to to help us find both. It is God's guide to living skillfully in a frustrating and and futile world. It it gives us a realistic map of the curse. and, And it also shows us where the gold is buried. It teaches us how to rightly understand life in a Genesis three world, its goal is to is to loosen your grip on the on this world, and to teach you how to live wisely with joy, and long for for the next. And as we're going to see today, that that wisdom often comes in in the oppositely weary. It's 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 unpredictably uncertain. It's it's deeply dissatisfying at times. It's it's often repetitious. It's and it also forgets our greatest accomplishments. we've all felt that now, having proven this by taking us under the water and holding us there. Solomon now begins to apply his wisdom in verse seven. The second half of ecclesiastes is is applied wisdom it's it's specific instructions on on how to live in light of that light of that reality It's what we need to to navigate between now and the time when we we show up before the Lord. And and as we know, Solomon is going to to bring us to to the only ultimate solution to the curse, which is in Ecclesiastes 12. When all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. For God will bring every act into judgment, either everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's a wonderful promise. God has promised to make right what is wrong, but until then, we need Ecclesiastes. In verses 10 through 12 of the end of chapter 6, which is where we left off, is actually the ladder and the diving board between the first and second half of the, uh, of the book. Look, if you would, at verse 12 again of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There's a question that's asked. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his feudal life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? That's the ladder and the, and the diving board for this, this second part. And Solomon leaves us, as I said, with our, with our toes uh, uh, pointed to, uh, for the leap. Who knows what is good for a man while living under the curse? Do you? Does Dr. Phil? Does Oprah? Does whoever uh, fill in the blank? Who can tell a man what awaits him under the sun? Who can show him how to live well? And whoever that is must know what awaits. That's what verse 12 says. And the answer, obviously, is, is only God can. It's a rhetorical question. You can't know. But, but God does. Everything in verses ten through twelve, where we left off last time, it all points us back to the fall. It all points us back to Genesis three. The word for for Adam is used four times, which is the word for man. There's even a reference to to God naming Adam and and Adam naming the animals in verse ten, which is which establishes authority. You're to you're to catapult. You're to be catapulted back to. To Genesis 3 in the fall. And in this next section, in chapter 7 we're going to look, uh, uh, Solomon uses the Hebrew word for good 12 times. And so the, the connection is, is clear that he's answering the question here from chapter 6. Even the question that he asks in verse 12 points us back to back to, back to Genesis, back to the fall. The question is asked, uh, for who knows what is good for Adam. And prior to the fall, all that Adam knew was was good. And now after the fall, Solomon says, we've lost that capacity. We we can't tell what is good. It's a rhetorical question. Who can tell? We can't tell. We don't know. It's exactly the opposite of what Satan promised, wasn't it? What did Satan promise? You disobey God, you reject God, you will know good and also evil. Genesis 3, 4 and, and 5. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But Solomon shows us here that that, that's a lie. After the fall, we can know evil experientially, but we can no longer discern what is good apart from God. And Ecclesiastes is God's memory aid that helps us to recover the knowledge that we lost in the fall. We need it. We need large doses of it. We don't have that capacity anymore, so we must look to God for for that wisdom. And the rest of that book provides that. He shows us the good way to live in a world that's passing in curse. He takes five and a half chapters to do that. Solomon has already given us bits and pieces of wisdom, moments of wisdom, glimpses of direction, flashes of application. And now he distills that wisdom that, that we need to live under the curse. And as he does, he begins to outline... Six wise approaches to life that are good for a man. And these are approaches after the fall. Six approaches that shows, that show what is, what is good for a man. We're we're only going to cover three of them today. We're going to only cover through verse nine. But he says it's good to be sensitized or aware of death verses one through three does that sound like odd wisdom to be aware of death to be sensitized to death wisdom from God what's good he also says what's good is to be is to be sober minded learn the lessons that come through difficult things that's what he says in verses five through six and then in verse seven verses seven through nine he says it's good to to approach life with, with self-control, be patient, don't jump the gun, don't take a shortcut, and we'll see that whenever we get there. Even if it doesn't seem like it, these are perspectives and attitudes that, that are good as we wait for Ecclesiastes 12, when, when God will, will make right what is, is wrong. Let's look at the first one that he gives here. In verse 1, the first wise approach that is good is to be sensitized or to be aware of death. Don't be sanitized to death, be sensitized. Solomon begins with some very potent wisdom. He says it's good for a man or a woman to live with an awareness of death. Does that sound odd? It does to most people. Solomon says we should live aware of what we spend most of our time trying to forget. It's a blessing to have that awareness be brought in front of you. We we should think about our end, Solomon says. Or to say it another way, if you want to look at the opposite, ignoring your death is foolish living. He begins with this strange statement about deodorant. Look at verse 1. A good name is better than good ointment. Let me let me paraphrase what he's saying here. He's saying a good character is better than smelling nice. Of course, I would prefer that you have both, both good character and deodorant. But Solomon has a has a deeper meaning that's than than just choosing body over 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 good character or masking body over odor over a over good character. Uh, ointment here what was a was a reference to, to funeral preparations. And that's the link with, with death. The link between a good name and death is our reputation is not established at birth. It's, a, it's established at death. You don't have a record at birth. In fact, God even highlights His sovereign choice in the way that, that He does things in, in choosing uh, uh, Jacob over Esau because they're both twins and, and He makes the choice before they're ever born, before they ever have a record of, of right or wrong. You don't have a record at your at your birth. Solomon says regardless of the flowery things people will say about you, or whatever whatever flowery things that that you try to, to, to use to mask your own character, it will not change the real verdict that your life declares. There's no such thing as moral cologne with with God. Solomon agrees with my Uncle Bailey, who told me when I was discussing his funeral and what, what he wanted me to to say. He, he said, as I've told you before in his country draw, well, well, I reckon, Brian, all that can be said about a man has already been said about his life. So just share the Bible. What does your life say right now? Think about the things that you're using to try to mask what what... What fragrance or odor your, your character actually actually is before God. Whatever it says, the, the good news is that you're alive and that you can change the verdict because death hasn't come upon you yet. But you won't if if you don't live with it, with an awareness of that the death that death is coming. All this, in verse 1, uh, sets up what, what he says the next, about uh, the day of one's death is better than the, than the day of, of one's, one's birth. This is a better than proverb. All of these are better than proverbs. The, the first line sets up the second, which, which is about death. Uh, it's, for, it's an intro for comparison's sake. It, it's to give you a measurement for the, for the distance between two things that he's going to describe, so you can grasp his... The the gravity of his point, It's just as inward character is so much better than outward scent, that's how much the day of your death is better than the day of your birth in a Genesis 3 world. That's what Solomon's trying to say. Solomon says, given the fall, birthdays are highly overrated. Does that sound odd? I mean, he's not saying that you can't celebrate your birthday or anyone else's. He says that it doesn't sound odd, though. That wisdom shouldn't be odd if you understand the Bible correctly, if you understand that you live in a a fallen and cursed world. He's not talking about about some morbid preoccupation with death, where you like death and you write about death and you, you rejoice in death. He's not saying that at all. He's saying an awareness that that's when the final verdict is given. That's what you need to live wisely in this life. In Genesis 3, we're told that death was the result of man's sin. But in God's grace, He didn't cause Adam to die immediately, did He? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a period of time of living between birth and, and death. God told Adam, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. When Adam lost the ability to even discern what is good, God didn't immediately kill him. He started to die. Death was coming for sure, but Adam lives 930 years. And during those 930 years, he had the chance to repent of his rebellion and live by faith. That's why God gave him that declaration. You will surely die, Adam. You've already made the choice. The curse is there. But now as you're living... Live with the reality that that death is coming. Do you see God's amazing holiness and and grace mingled together in the curse? You will surely die. Death will not, a sin will not go unpunished. But I choose to delay when that happens so that you might repent and believe and live for me. And that's exactly why God has delayed your death. You have no idea when you're going to die, but you're going to die. And that delay is God's mercy. Because he doesn't desire you to perish. He, he longs for you to come to repentance. And Solomon says what is good for fallen for man is to be aware of that so you can live in light of that, of that, of that coming. My friend Joel James said the, the Puritans used to illustrate this in a very tangible way. You may, the minute I say this, I have pictures come back to your mind of, of old churches. Each of the Puritans used to design their churches with the cemeteries in the front yard, so you would have to walk through the tombstones to get to the doors of the church. Mm. It was a purposeful reminder of what Solomon was saying here. Be reminded you're going there as you approach to hear the words of Christ. That that will remove some some uh, some triviality, won't it? Our tendency is to do the opposite, isn't it? That's why we think this wisdom of Solomon sounds strange. Death? I don't want to think about death. We try to avoid thinking about death at all costs. We've even changed the names to take the edge off. We call it a memorial garden instead of a graveyard. It's a marker instead of a tombstone. But for the Christian, death is a defeated foe. It's painful, yes. We long, we grieve. But we sorrow with what? With hope. And in Christ, death is, is real, but it has no, no lasting power. It's like, a, it's like a bear without claws or teeth. It's, it's like a buzzard without a beak. It's a, it's a rooster without spurs. You, you don't like it. You, as one man said, you don't want to cuddle with it. You don't want to put it in your lap and, and, and pet it, but it has no real power over you. But if you don't know Christ, neither your birth nor your death are going to be good. You were born into a sin-cursed world, born in iniquity, only to die, and then it gets worse. It gets much worse. And avoiding thinking about death is not going to change your outcome whatsoever. The only thing that will change your outcome is to turn to Jesus Christ. And Solomon says, because everyone will face it, it's better to, to hang it on the, the, the rear view mirror of life instead of, of hiding it in the trunk. And that's why the particular times in life, we should embrace them so we can gain this lesson. Look at what he says in verse 2, still with this theme. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Another better than proverb. Why? Because that is the end of every man, and the the living take it to heart. Takes it to heart. Solomon says, in light of the fall, you can't change the curse. You can't change the fact that death is is a reality because of sin. Going to a funeral is better than going to a party. That's a head scratcher, isn't it? Not if you look through the lens of, of the Bible and understand. You say, how can that be? I hate funerals. I don't like to go to funerals. Well, he tells you exactly how that can be. Because that's the end of every man. It reminds you of the end of of every person. And the living, take it to heart. You you take it to heart at a funeral. You you see exactly where you're going to end up. Funerals are, are not fun. But the benefit of going to them is far greater than a celebration because you gain wisdom at funerals. Derek Kidner said, at the house of mourning, the mood is thoughtful and the facts are plain. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? They remind you of what's coming and it keeps you living with the end in view. Only going to parties. It doesn't say that you only go to funerals. It is just one has a has a, has a better benefit for, for wisdom than, than the other. Solomon's not against parties. He had plenty of them. Only going to parties keeps you in the dark, and, and death is coming regardless. So, again, the, the words of Solomon may, may sound strange. Maybe a little, you feel a little like you do whenever, whenever you first began to, uh, to read the words of Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about this Matthew 5. Blessed are those who mourn. Does that make sense? Blessed are the poor in, in spirit. Happy are those who hunger and, and, and thirst. Jesus understood exactly what Solomon understood. Because of Solomon's words are his words. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Does that make sense? Not from a human standpoint. Have you ever listened to the Beatitudes and scratched your head and said that, that sounds like the opposite of what it should be? Do you remember how Jesus ends the Beatitudes? He tells us how this can be true, even though it, it sounds contradictory. You can do that, rejoice and be glad, because your reward in heaven, for your reward in heaven is great. You see how he, he, he talks about wisdom in living this life, in looking to the, to the end? Your reward is there. It's it's not here. And Jesus is saying the same thing that that Solomon said. Wisdom comes through many things that we try to avoid. In fact, it it, it may sound odd. The fact that it sounds odd shows our need for Solomon's wisdom. Now, he didn't say going to a funeral or mourning was, was more enjoyable. He said it's better for you. Just like James says that you count joy in what the trials produce, not in the trials themselves. I hate trials. I don't like to be uncomfortable. Do you? I hate being uncomfortable. I do everything in my power to get out of, of anything that brings me discomfort. I plead with the Lord, get me out of this discomfort. Bring it to But I'm very, very thankful. Some of the most thankful moments in my life, when I look back, came through Through suffering, or through difficulty, or through a trial. You see, we tend to evaluate, we have the tendency to evaluate something in light of how we feel, or whether it brings us pleasure, which shows us how foolish we are, which shows us why we need wisdom. Something that's better for you doesn't always feel better at the moment, does it? Solomon has nothing against joy, He's even said that God's given good things to, for us to enjoy. God, as we saw last week, He's the one who gives the gift of the ability to enjoy. At the curse, you, your ability to be satisfied in anything other than God was removed, and in Christ He restores that and then shows you the good gifts that, that He's given you in life to, to enjoy. Fruit from your hands, uh, your wife, your, your family, the, the satisfaction of work, many things. No satisfaction before Christ. All satisfaction after Christ. Solomon has nothing against joy. But he's saying what's coming is even better. He's saying that what's coming, the, the, the hard lessons, the things that bring difficulty and pain in this life, even though they take some of that temporal joy, are much better because what's coming is, is far better than anything that you can experience on, on this earth. E- even when it takes your pleasure. There's greater treasure. And a pastor has one of the best seats in the house when it comes to this proverb. I, I, I do. As a pastor, I, I walk people through the, through the door of death, or I should say hold their hand. I'm at the bedside at the funeral home preaching the sermons. And, and one of the things that becomes evident after a while is is what you do with your life is the only thing that, that, that you have to rejoice in in the end. And I get the the wisdom of watching people face it well and and also watching people who don't. God says if you have the choice between a party and a funeral, better to attend the funeral because it will make you wise. And you need the wisdom that sorrow brings. Look look at verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. Another better than proverb. For when a face is sad, a heart may be, may be happy. Now, watch how he's talking about the face, what's on the outside, and yet what is, is on the inside, what's deep seated. The, the compass of the life is the, is the heart. And the compass of the life may be happy even if there's sad, temporary sadness on the face. You see that? Solomon says it's better than, sorrow is better than laughter in a fallen world because it gives you a greater benefit. Why? Because it puts things right. It, it, has a, it has an impact in the heart. Uh, the Hebrew for heart was the, means the inner life. The, the inner life is better situated for making right judgments. And sorrow is one of the things that brings you that lesson. Michael Eaton said, A man who has looked at death in the face will, will have his inner life transformed for the better. Let me, let me illustrate that for you. When was the last time you laughed? Now You say, I, I really don't remember. Well, let me ask you this. What lesson did you learn? Well, let me ask another question. When was the last time you had sorrow? I mean, deep sorrow. Did it have an impact on you? Can you remember the time of sorrow more than the time of laughter? And he's not pitting one against the other. He's not saying laughter is bad. God has a sense of humor. Just look in the mirror, right? Laughter is good. It's good medicine. But what sinks into our souls and has a barb that holds there that that, that allows us to get through the futility and frustration most of the time comes in sorrow. One drives its lesson deeper than the other. And our emotional reaction to something may be one thing, but the, but the final umpiring of, of life is better done by a tempered heart, is what Solomon is saying. And to temper steel, it must go through the fire and then be cooled. You ever listen to the, to the crowd roar at a football game when, when they think that their team has scored a touchdown? Only to have the referees wave it off because they had a closer look the crowd's vantage point they they have an initial uninformed re, reaction but but a sideline judge can can see that that he stepped out of bounds a man without Solomon's wisdom may have a smile but but he's unaware of what waits him awaits him without god you go through life just just cheery uh, he may have a cheery life but sorrow is a better friend for this man it would be better for him to experience sorrow than because I can teach him about, about wisdom. Think of your own life. My own testimony, the Lord had to put me flat on my back before I would look it up. Think, think about how the Lord brought you to Christ. It wasn't in happy times. Conviction set into your soul. Maybe, maybe the consequences of your life showed you the, how bad you were doing at it and, and how you needed the Lord. You see how that sorrow taught you something? And if it hadn't come you wouldn't have turned. Look at verse 4. The mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, and the mind of fools is in the house of, of pleasure. Solomon continues this, never let pleasure keep you from having wisdom. One commentator said, Death is the object of the wise man's reflections. He allows it to rouse him to thought and concern. A fool, on the other hand, is blind to spiritual issues and yet content in his blindness. B.R. Lakin said, I would would rather preach to a prostitute than a rich man because the harlot knows her need of what I have to offer. Think of, of how much frivolity, distractions there are in this world. There ought to keep us from thinking about one thing that's coming for all of us. Wisdom knows the end. Keeping it in view is better than the blindness of pleasure. So the first approach is to live aware of death. And the second wise approach to living that's good is to realize discipline is a good thing. Be sober-minded. If you would at verse... Verse 5. It's better to listen. Watch, it's a better than proverb. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools, plural. What is good now that we live outside of the garden? Well, Solomon says it comes through difficulty many times. This is kind of connected to what he was talking about sorrow, but he, but he takes it a, 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 a little bit further. Solomon says the, the rebuke of one wise person is better than the, the choir, a choir of fools singing. He contrasts truthfulness with, with frivolous things. See, a rebuke from someone who knows what is good is better than a good time Charlie, as they say. Solomon says it's much better to listen to wisdom even if it comes in unpleasant packages. I think that's what he's trying to say here. It's better to listen to the rebuke than to listen to a song. Rebuke is an unpleasant package, right? I don't like to be rebuked. But I am so thankful when someone loves me enough to rebuke me, or God does. What's better? Wisdom that convicts you and shows you how to live, or someone who makes you laugh and distracts you and, and has no concern about where you're going to end up. This verse could be a condemnation on on much modern preaching. The kind that goes wide but not deep, the kind that conceals the truth but doesn't make it clear. Love without truth. Who was wiser, David or Saul, when, when they were confronted in their sin. David wanted, uh, Saul wanted David's heart to, to take away his conviction. And David embraced Nathan's rebuke and repented. Not only that, you, you learn nothing lasting that comes from a life living in avoidance to reality. Look at verse 6. There's no lasting value to songs only. And avoiding rebukes. Verse six for as the crackling of the thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futility. There's the conclusion of the matter. So he's got rebuke, he's got song, and then the laughter of fools. And and he puts it on the scale. He said it's about as it's about as weighty as the crackling of a thorn bush under under a pot. For a person who understands life biblically, the laughter of fools is compared to, to annoying popping of thorns in the in the fire. You ever put a a really dry pine log on a, on a fire and not put the grate in, in front of it? It starts pop, pop, throwing things. It's annoying. You want to enjoy the flame, the heat, the light, but you can't. Thorns have... Uh, have a quick flame, little heat, and a lot of unpleasant noise, one wrote. Just like the fire that dry sticks make, a life without God, a life that's focused only on on pleasure, only on laughter, creates about a, about a same lasting value as a, as a dry stick. And Solomon even tells us it's, it's empty. Thorn bushes were all over Israel and they were used, when you didn't have good wood to burn. And thorn branches burn fast and they give off no heat. They're useless to cook with, which is the point. Whatever is in the pot makes no progress. And if all your life is, is, is escapism, all your life is, is laughter and all of it's pleasure, and you avoid the difficult things, you avoid God's wisdom, you avoid the Word, you avoid church, you avoid people that will tell you the truth and rebuke you, What's in the pot of your life will not, will not cook. It will not even simmer. It will make no progress. Your life will just make a lot of noise and smoke. Solomon says that's the life of one who fails to, to listen to Ecclesiastes. A fool's counsel is weightless. They catch fire quickly and yet they fade they're excitable and empty. They they come and go like a dry Christmas tree on a bonfire, and so do their lessons. Why do we have new philosophies? Because the old ones were exactly what Solomon says here. Only laughter in good times while pretending God is not there and death is not coming will, will lead to an insubstantial and worthless life that will soon be, be snuffed out, Like 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 a feather in the breeze, like the, the froth on the on the sea. Now remember, these are better than Proverbs. So Solomon is not saying that you have to, to live in like some somber tone like the rich old women in Anne of Green Gables and just dress in black. And He's not saying, I shall not laugh because I will die. <laughs> or the lady that, that they said came to church with a tombstone under one arm and her Bible under the other. She knew she was going to die. He's saying it's better to heed painful wisdom than to embrace a fool's way, even when it hurts. Because wisdom from discipline will last. But a fool's wisdom will will burn out like a dry twig. Solomon is saying don't live a life of escapism. What's good? It's good for a man? Given the fact that there is a curse given the fact that there is a God, given the fact that, that, that you can't make things straight right now, but God promises to one day and you're going to stand before Him. And this life is what you've been given to, to, to live by faith and to honor Him. What, what's good? Don't live a life of escapism. Be sober-minded. That's the word sober-minded means. And the fools of the world are all too happy for you to play with them. We have distractions galore, don't we? You can spend hours surfing the Internet. It's a wonderful tool. But many times what you're doing is just looking at things to buy or or articles to read. And a waste of time, doesn't it? Solomon says, does it help you? Most of the time it just leaves a hole in your day and covetous feelings. Maybe you try to, a lot of people try to escape through through social media where... where where they post things about them th- themselves when i was on vacation over over christmas I, there was there was a, a a woman in right in the f- front of everybody had this little tripod and had her iphone on it and and it i mean it, it was just it, it was I almost busted out laughing i walked by her and, and she's looking at herself in the she's trying to take a selfie I mean, like people everywhere. I mean, this is not like even in the bathroom where someone can't even see how vain you are. It's like right in front of everyone. And she'd take a picture and then she'd look at it and she'd, she'd do it again. Most of the time, you, you, you can spend hours just swiping picture after picture after picture. And the people who are there aren't real anyway because they don't post anything but their best light. And now there's even a, even a trend where you... You post the worst pictures of yourself, cellulite and stretch marks and everything else, so you can be real. You can escape in novels or, or TV. You can waste your time video gaming. As, as one preacher said, you can create characters, cyber characters that have the traits that you wish you did and instead of working to develop them yourself. Solomon says a better idea is to develop the character that you wish, and you do that through being sober-minded. That's what's good. He gives a third one here. It all has to do with being self-controlled or patient, restraint. Give you verse 7. There are four things here. For oppression makes a wise man mad... And a bribe corrupts the heart. Both of these things come and need a delay. You need, to de- you need to delay. verse 8. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience of spirit is better than pride, than a haughty spirit. Don't be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Verses seven through nine are all examples of the of the need for self restraint, and if you don't exercise it, you'll you'll be like a fool. It's good to 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 have patience. It's good to restrain. All this goes together, living with the end in view. Solomon says you can be foolish when when you fail to trust God with, with injustice. You can be made a fool when money gets involved. You can become foolish through pride and you can be made a fool through anger. There are four situations where it's better for a man to show show self-restraint than pursuing an easy path or or an excitable path, something that's right in front of you. Every situation Solomon describes feel good for a moment, but in the end they have devastating consequences. He starts with this temptation of injustice. He talks about oppression It makes a wise man mad. Solomon's already addressed abuse and oppression in chapter 3, 4, and 5. He mentioned it three times. And things that are almost unbearable, almost unbearable aspects of the curse. Here he says it's maddening. Oppression makes a wise man mad. What's the temptation there? To To take matters into your own hands. You see it. You can't fix it. And so you don't wait on God to do something about it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Solomon then talks about the temptation of what happens when money gets involved. Verse 7, a bribe corrupts the heart. Here's another place where short-term gain will not lead to long-term benefits. Solomon says a bribe can impair judgment. It corrupts the heart. Bribery is taking money instead of a, uh, of gaining a clear conscience. It's It's better to have self-control and to do right, to wait, let things play out. Short-term benefits are tempting. But not if you understand that you live in a fallen world and that you'll stand before God one day. All of these can bring a downfall. Look at verse 8. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience of spirit is better than... Than haughtiness of spirit. There's the temptation of of impatience. There are many things in life where, where you have to wait until the end for the benefits. And the focus here is on the outcome. There's a warning not to stumble in the process. If you do, you'll be proud. It's like what a proud person does, presumptuous person. When you face the frustrations of the fall and you sense futility it brings, you can be tempted to give up too soon. Forget the end. When God will bring everything into, into judgment. Don't grow weary in well doing, the Apostle Paul says. You will reap in due time. It's a reminder. It comes right here from Ecclesiastes. To do that is to conclude you know better than God. I thought of Boaz whenever I, I read this. Been communicating lately, lately. I'm going to see him again in March. I can remember him saying the difference between the East and the West is Americans are always in a hurry to get to their destination. But God's lessons are in the journey. We're always in a hurry to get to the destination. But God says, let the process play out. That's where the lessons are. He makes a, de- a designation between one and the other. What makes the destination sweet is what you learn while you're traveling. It's there you, you learn God, and it's what gives you the depth to your worship. And he ends with this, this need for, for self-control. And don't be, verse 9, don't be eager in your heart to, to be angry. The final easy solution to a frustrating irritant is anger. Again, Michael Eaton, so helpful, says this is not a new theme for Solomon. In Proverbs, he talks about the exasperation over an erring child, the resentment of a, uh, of a nagging wife, the uh, bitter grief of losing a loved one. All are opportunities for anger to set in. And what is good is to resist such short-sighted expressions of unbelief. In the second part of this verse, explains why you have to avoid it. Look at the end of verse 9. For anger resides in the bosom of fools. Impatience resides in the bosom of, of fools. The second line could be said, tolerated resentment makes its permanent home in the personality of a fool. Be careful. Be careful with anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, impatience. You invite them in even for, for a little while and, and then when you want them to leave, they refuse. They, if you leave them undealt with, they can claim squatter's rights. Solomon says that's where the fool's where they really make their home. For a believer, they have no title to the heart. Anger is always about my rights, my comfort, my service, my desires now, Right? Are whiny children hard to deal with? Yeah, they are. Irritating, right? But that's a sign of, that you need to, need to help them and apply wisdom. God says you lost your rights to the cross, but gained Christ's claims to heaven. And if you demand your earthly due, it, it deadens your heavenly desires. You can't long for heaven. And demand your rights on the earth. You you can't live with the with the end in, in view and, and do all of these things. But yet what's good, Solomon says. What's good for a man or a woman? What's the approach to to life under the under the sun that will allow you to gain God's wisdom? Is to be aware of death, be sensitized. Think about it. Don't dwell on it, but hang it from the rearview mirror. Be sober-minded. Know a lot of the things that you and I need come through what we try to avoid. And then be patient. Be self-controlled. Play the long game, not the short one. Because in the end, you already know who wins. We do. you by your heads. Solomon shows us what life is like outside the garden. What a bitter life at times. Think of how bitter it would be without the mercy of, of God. And once a person chooses to reject God, that's the life that they that they live. And yet Solomon wants to point us to God's grace. While you and I willfully chose to live outside of the garden, God has not left us without without wisdom to navigate or the good things. And that wisdom is there. And all of that wisdom resides in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? What in your life are you using as props and masks? Are you trying to avoid reality? Solomon says it won't work. Come to Christ now. Gain the wisdom that He can provide you. And life will be much better in the end. Father, we, we love You. We Thank You for Your truth. Lord, even as I preach this, even as I read it, I, I think about how I, I don't enjoy these topics. But I do enjoy the fruit that they bring. And that's what a wise person is. They, they're able to see that. Thank You for telling us the truth and giving us Your grace in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.